This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's another edition of the Equalizer podcast, and what do you know? We've got actual soccer to talk about after several weeks of reviewing old drafts and old seasons and our origins in the sport. The NWSL has announced a comeback of sorts. The NWSL Challenge Cup will begin June 27th in Utah. All nine teams will be there. All the games will be broadcast on CBS All Access, with the exception of a couple on CBS Sports Network. And this is very likely what we're going to get for the 2020 NWSL season. I'm Dan Lalletta. John Halloran is here to talk about it with us. Chelsea Bush will be back for another podcast next week. John, NWSL Challenge Cup, what are your thoughts? You know, there's a lot of angles. There's the soccer angle, the health angle, the business angle. But what's the first thing that came to your mind when you found out this was a go? I think the overwhelming feeling is just happy to have soccer back. Um, and I know that that's a selfish feeling. And I know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of things that, that we should definitely get into here regarding player safety. But I think, like a lot of people, it's uh, it's been a challenge the past few weeks without any sort of soccer, without leaving the house much at all. And I think we're all kind of going a little stir-crazy. So um, my first reaction was happiness and excitement to see the teams that I enjoy watching get out there and, and play again. I think like throughout our lives, when you've been stuck inside for whatever reason, whether you're sick or whatever, you've had sports to watch. And it's like the double whammy for the last couple of months. You're inside, but the things that you like to do inside aren't there. So <laughs> now we're going to, you know, now we're going to get this back. And clearly we stopped playing soccer and every other sport because of health and safety reasons. So I think it's important that that be the number one kind of topic in terms of, you know, whether or not this is a good idea. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I guess if you get everybody to Utah and they're OK, then I think this is an OK idea. I think well, if you get people to Utah and they're not OK, then you're going to have a problem. Yeah. I mean, this right. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to watch soccer. But at the same time, if you come out of this with one person getting seriously ill or having one of the long term effects that we know, which can in some cases result in circulatory problems, permanent lung scarring. Obviously, uh, a lot of people are dying of this. If any of that happens, of course, this is a total failure. And you look back on it and you think, how stupid was that? Soccer was not that important. So it's important to put this in perspective. Risk worth taking, you think? 
I don't know. I, I, I will tell you that again, you know, we're, we're getting into, you know, how we personally feel about all this stuff a bit. I can tell you that my family's been very much on the conservative side of this in terms of, um, really minimizing our contact with the outside world, quarantining as much as, as humanly possible. And, um, you know, we're very lucky and, and blessed and privileged to have the, the resources to make that happen. But, um, it's, it's very difficult. And, uh, you know, I know this all kind of ties in too, but one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the PA's role, the Players Association role in all of this. And I think the fact that this is voluntary is a big, big part of it because we all are making our own decisions uh, in dealing with this pandemic. We're all deciding what is acceptable risk and what is not. And to be honest, I don't think that we've had a lot of unified messages from our local, state, and federal government, and it's different depending on where you're at. And so we're all trying to find this balance between our safety and living our lives and doing what we need to do to survive. So I, again, this is this is something I'm excited about. But again, if we end up with one serious uh, health concern or, or worse, then we're going to look back at this and think, no, it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, and I'm probably on the conservative side, but I'd think maybe my family not quite as conservative as yours, but fairly conservative, especially compared to the people in my area. Um, and you're right. Everyone's making their own call. And, you know, I think it was a great job by the Players Association to get uh, a scenario set up where the players would be paid, even if they elected to not go because they right. weren't, you know, they because they didn't feel, you know, healthy about it. And you look at Major League Baseball might be the one sport that blows up a whole season over it because their players and owners can't get along. And there's certainly a lot more money involved in there, though, you know, all the money in the world won't matter if you're not healthy. Uh, but you're right. It is a, you know, I think it's a small risk. I, you know, I, you know, even if you get a few positive tests, I don't know that that will mean that you'll have anything catastrophic. So I think right. it's a small risk, but it's one of those things like you better not mess it up. Like you can cross a four lane road without waiting for the light, but if you screw it up, it's not going to end well. Well, so and, and you better get it right. And one of the things from Jeff's reporting, too, is that we know that not every team is going into this with the same expectations of quarantine. So you could have a, a really bad scenario where you have different teams which are abiding by slightly different standards. And if one team gets infected and then infects another team and even the way that the protocols appear to be written with positive tests, if if any of those positive tests happen after a game has been played, it could blow up the entire tournament because of the quarantine requirements that would follow that. Right. And if you remember back to the night the NBA stopped, yeah. they had decided they were going to play the rest of their games that night. But then yep. the last game, forget the teams involved, one of the officials had refereed a game involving Rudy Gobert, who was the guy who tested positive. And so they didn't want the officials to be on the court with the players. And then they just said, you know what, it's not worth it. Let's not play this game either. Right. So yeah, that's, that is, that's a good point. You know, and soccer's not the sport with the most physical contact, but you certainly can't play soccer without physical contact. 
Right. And, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned the officials because we haven't really mentioned that this is also a discussion which not only involves the players looking after their safety, but the people working in the hotels that they'll be staying at, the people who are preparing the food that they'll be eating, the support staff, the coaches, the assistant coaches. There are a lot of people involved in this process. And if one of those people, you know, is asymptomatic but positive, they could end up spreading that to people who are participating in this tournament. So even if the players are as careful as they can possibly be, there are no guarantees with this. I have two other angles I want to bring up and anything else you have, you're welcome to. Um, I watch as many different sports as anybody I know. And I would be excited right now to watch just about any sport. Yeah. But I feel like if you have a whole baseball season or a whole two-month NHL playoffs with no fans, that might get old quickly. You know, some NWSL games, like if you watch a Portland game, fans are part of it. You watch certain other games, we don't have to mention those teams, you don't necessarily expect the fans to be, like, in your face as you're watching the stream. Do you think yeah. it's going to work with no fans? And I don't mean, like, is it going to work? Like, can they play the games? Because we know they can in soccer, soccer. But will this will live sports in general become a drag? Because I think fans are a part of the I think that, I mean, you know, people being there are part of it. They are, but at the same time, and I, I really don't mean this to sound negative, even though that's how it's going to come off. We all have been to games that had a thousand people in the stands. Yes, we have. Or less. I've been to games at Toyota Park where there were 3,000 people in a 20,000 seat stadium. So I don't think that that necessarily affected whether or not the game was a good game or not. I don't think that necessarily affected whether the fans who were there enjoyed it or didn't enjoy the experience. So again, I don't mean this to sound bad, but I think at least uh, in this country, Woso fans are a little bit acclimated to the idea of having an underwhelming crowd presence. All right. Now this is sponsored by secret and Procter and Gamble, which is kind of why they're doing it and why they're doing it. And, you know, there's different reasons why they're doing it, when they're doing it and whatnot. But um, isn't this like a little bit of, like, isn't this a hat tip, Lisa Baird, like welcome to the league and good job getting this off the ground with sponsors when we couldn't get major sponsors in <laughs> after the 2015 or 19 world cup wins for the national team. And now yeah. we're like the country shut down and you got new sponsors coming in. Yeah. It, I think it's, it's, tough to give her anything but an A-plus so far for her efforts and, and what she's done. I think the other thing, if we can kind of wrap this all in together, is that the communication, the protocols that have been set up, the amount of cooperation that had to go into creating this plan, I think, is a testament to leadership uh, and what she's been able to do and bring people together. Because Every single coach that we've had access to, every player that we've had access to on, on Zoom calls, uh, the PA rep that I, that I spoke to um, and other people that I've spoken to have repeatedly talked about how good the communication has been, how involved the stakeholders have been brought in and how organized this entire process has been. So, you know, again, this can all fall apart uh, still, but 
I think it's important to recognize that there feels like a marked change in the leadership that Baird has brought in a very, very short time at the head of the league. And under adverse circumstances, too, because well, when I yeah, you know, I spoke to her at Red Bull like three days before the country shut down, and she said, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to every market and talk to all the owners and guarantee you that hasn't happened. Yeah. So she's pretty, pretty much doing this from from quarantine status, and it's it's pretty good so far. So hopefully it keeps up. Um, any other angles that you have on this, that, you know, outside the actual soccer, which we'll get to in the second segment? The only other thing that, and, and we've talked about this a little bit off air, but the one thing I would like to get some uh, either, you know, PA reps or owners uh, on record with is about long-term health issues because, you know, we talked about the guarantees for salary and housing and insurance and whatnot, but we also know that this disease can in some cases have long-term health effects. And so it would be nice to get some indication that any player who does have any sort of permanent or chronic long-lasting effects, if they do get sick, that that those needs are going to be taken care of. I know there's also a lot of discussion about injuries just based on the fact that, you know, Players haven't trained right. fully. Um, I don't want to dismiss that out of hand, but isn't that an occupational hazard? And isn't it up to the players to get that kind of figured out on their I own? You don't want to push them too far, but right. And and I saw a discussion. It, it might have even been one of ours too that was a, talking about the the length of a normal preseason compared to what this preseason is going to be, and saying that they're both three weeks. Um, so it doesn't seem that there's necessarily a difference there. I think where you could run into an issue, what we see at the end of tournaments like the World Cup that go seven games is a load management issue. You know, it's not uncommon, just as we saw last summer as we neared the end of the World Cup, we saw, you know, Rose Lavelle dealing with a hamstring issue, Rapino dealing with some knocks. It, you know, you're just going to accumulate that if you're playing seven games over the course of a month. There are load management issues that wouldn't be as significant if you were playing four games over the course of a month. All right, let's take a break. We will come back, talk a little more about uh, the ins and outs of this scenario, but also some soccer because we're actually going to have NWSL soccer. Do we like the blind draw concept, which will happen on Monday? Uh, Do we like that there are nine teams and eight of them move on to the knockout stage? A lot to talk about. John Halloran with me, Dan Lawletta. You're listening to the Equalizer podcast. Hey, everyone. Jeff Kasouf here, founder of the Equalizer. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. But first, I want to make sure you know about another podcast that we have called Kicking Back. In Kicking Back, I speak with players, coaches, and personalities from across women's soccer about defining moments in their careers and what their futures hold. It's a casual, conversational podcast featuring superstars of the game and unsung heroes you probably don't know enough about. We talked to Becky Sauerbrunn about the moment she realized that she was good enough to play for the U.S. national team. Crystal Dunn describes her love-hate relationship with constantly switching positions and how she and her husband manage working for rival NWSL teams. Allie Riley traces her globetrotting journey and shares her Oscar-worthy video moments and top vegan recipes. Jill Ellis details the tactical nuance most people missed as she guided the U.S. to -to back-to-back World Cup titles. Beverly Yanez reflects on the growth of her game throughout her career and when she knew it was time to start the next chapter. Our podcast is wide-ranging and our list of guests ever-growing. 
You can find Kicking Back, no G in there, just an apostrophe because we're keeping it casual, on any platform you use to stream podcasts, including this one right here. Just like with this podcast, subscribers to the Equalizer Extra get an ad-free version, so be sure to subscribe to all of our exclusive content, which includes text, audio, everything, at equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. When you finish up with this pod, please go ahead and check out our latest on Kicking Back. We hope the two of these complement each other nicely as you dive deeper into women's soccer. Back on the Equalizer podcast, Dan Lalletta with John Halloran. Chelsea Bush hopefully will be back along next weekend. NWSL Challenge Cup begins on June 27th, the blind draw. Uh, to see who plays who is Monday. John and I hopefully will be back with another quick podcast to analyze those matchups after they happen. I uh, want to also remind you to check out all of our content on the web at equalizersoccer.com and for premium content, equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. Uh, a couple of other news and notes. When the rain gets to Utah, they won't have Steph Catley. She has decided that she... Uh, will not be back with the rain, which I think is I, I think it's a shame. I think she's a she's a big miss. And Bree Vasali has signed with the Houston Dash, who seem they Dash seem to have a glut of players. We'll see how good they're going to be, but uh, they do have a number of players. And the German Women's League returned on Friday. Wolfsburg maintains an eight point lead over Bayern Munich as they both registered victories. Uh, this past uh, over the past couple of days, and I believe they will play again. And I'm trying to scroll real quick through the schedule, see if I can find that. And that'll be as of now scheduled for uh, June 20th in uh, in Munich. Uh, so, John, one other thing about the um, about the tournament itself before we get to like some actual like who might be good and who might not be. Um, I don't buy that coming back early is going to matter that much. You know, you might get some crazy sports fans who say, I don't care what the sport is, I'm going to watch. But if it really is going to end July 25th, if every sport that is supposed to happen between the end of August and the end of the year happens, it is going to be the craziest fall of major sporting events ever. And this league will get completely lost in the shuffle if this is all we get. And, you know, you might grab some new fans because of it, but I think overall, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it for this reason, but I don't buy the fact that, oh, this league's coming back early and this is going to be their big moment to break through. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I I would say that there's an increased opportunity for people who are marginal fans or even committed fans who will have a little bit more time on their hands because there won't be competing events. And I can just say, as a as a parent, not having to run to the soccer fields every Saturday and, and Sunday afternoon opens up a few more hours. And I'm sure I'm going to watch more games than usual because, uh, especially when Chicago's at home and I have to drive down to the stadium, I usually only end up watching you know two games a weekend. So I'll probably get to watch every game in this tournament. It's almost going to feel like a World Cup in that sense. I always love the. World Cup summers because you just get to sit and watch soccer all day. So I think from that perspective, I think the viewership will be a little bit more intense. But the issue that I I think feeds in with what you were saying is that so we do this. It's very intense. Everybody loves it. 
and then the NWSL is off the grid again by, you know, mid-July or, or the end of July, um, you know, does it hold on to that waiting all the way until the March of, of 2021? And that's usually a gap that gets filled in a little bit by national team games, but we don't even know if the national team is going to be competing this fall or not. And or if other teams are going to want to come or even will be right. allowed to come. Right. Maybe some inter squads. That would be nice. We've we've all kind of fantasized about watching the A and B team play each other. Oh, and we just handed Vlatko the B team on the pod a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> right. Right. You shouldn't have a problem picking the roster for that. You're welcome. Um, also, even if you do, let's say you come back and do something similar in September and October, and even if you can do it then with a few fans at your home games, you know, if you've got baseball going and you've got the NBA and the NHL having their playoffs then, and all the golf majors are stuffed into that time of the year, and the French Open maybe or maybe not is going to happen in September, October, if you think the NWSL is buried every summer, it'll be even more buried this fall if if all these things happen. And the NWSL plays, which at the moment there are no plans to. Yeah. All right. Blind draw. Like it? Hate it? Think it's uh, – is it a necessary evil? I don't like it. And I don't either. I, well, I'll tell you the reason I don't like it is that I think it, it's going to be incredibly unfair. Even the World Cup draw, which if you want to – even if you add in your wild conspiracy theories for the world cup draw and the, you know, the heated balls and the blind draw and all that other stuff that's been out there. Even with that, the world cup draw is seated in a way that attempts to keep the top teams away from each other in the group stage. And I really honestly thought when I first heard that they were going to play four games in a group stage, it made sense to me to break the league up into three t- into three pools. You play yep. everybody in your pool twice, which gives a fairer result than just a one-off. And then you take, you know, eight of those nine teams probably would come down to goal differential with one of the teams that had like one or two points. Uh, and then somebody gets left out and that stinks, but you know, they would have had a terrible group round if you're the only one not getting involved and, and then you move on. But the way that we think that this is coming out is going to be a single table where you could play any of the four teams. And I think if you're, let's say you're one of the teams that we've looked at this offseason and thought, hey, this is a team that's really made some improvements. I'm excited to see what they're going to do. So let's say we look at Sky Blue. That's a team that made a lot of changes this offseason, look like they improved in a lot of areas. What if they go into this and they draw North Carolina, Chicago, the rain, and Portland? Is that really going to give you a fair idea of how they do? Are they really, do they really have a good chance of advancing facing those four teams? Well, they had a nine advance, so it's not that bad, but I guess you're right. But, but okay. But you know, you're going to end up putting yourself in a, in a difficult position. And likewise, you know, if, if you are a a mid table team or slightly above mid table and you draw Orlando, Houston, you know, you have an advantage. So it's set up in a way that the immediate talking point tomorrow that we're going to have is who got screwed by this. So would you rather it be, I agree with everything you just said, would you rather it be like North Carolina and Orlando automatically 
together because that's the top against the bottom pods of three or because I feel like it almost would be more fair to have Orlando and Sky Blue play each other a couple of times because they're the teams that are building upward. Because, like you said, you, you right. can't really get a sense of what's going to happen. You know, if you go back to the very first double the USA season, right, the Cyber Rays were like 2-5-2, two, and two, and Brandy Chastain was on Letterman, and he was making fun of her. And she said, we'll be at the final, I guarantee it. I hope to see you there on Sure enough, they won, right? And D.C. United was 0-4. They were going to fire Bruce Arena when MLS launched. And then four years later, you know, Arena was gone because he was with the national team. And D.C. United had been in the first four finals. Like, you know, or if Orlando goes 0-4 here, everyone's going to pile on Mark Skinner. They're going to pile on the fact that the organization's terrible. But the fact is he needs a lot more than four games to get oh, from yeah. where they were to where he's going to go. Yeah. And that's why – and we've talked about this too, but that's, this is why this format uh, totally benefits the teams that are already put together, right? So North Carolina is coming off a season where they only have lost one starter and they were a dominant team. So how are they not the, the hands down favorite, you know, or, or as we talked about earlier, Chicago, you know, they lost Sam Kerr, but they keep their entire midfield, and their entire defense intact. So they don't have to worry about building those pieces of the puzzle. Whereas a team like Sky Blue or Utah or Houston or Orlando, who has brought in a lot of new pieces, there's no way that you can integrate those pieces over a seven game tournament. And what could be a four game tournament, because if, obviously if you blow the group stage, you're done anyway. Um, I also, again, hate to be negative here. I don't know that there is a matchup that I really want to see. I think everyone would be happy with rain thorns. But again, you put that match with no fans in Utah as opposed to in Seattle, Tacoma or Portland. I think it has a different vibe to it from the outside. Obviously, you always want to see a rematch of the final, but the final was non-competitive and there's no Sam Kerr. You know, I think that Courage Thorns has gotten a little stale, and the Thorns, you know, as many pieces as they have, they redid their whole forward line through the draft. I'm not sure right. there are any guarantees that the Thorns are going to come out like gangbusters. Um, like, what matchup, like, if you could pick one matchup to get in this group stage, what is it? I, I just, I don't see any particular two teams that I really want to see play. Yeah, you, I think it could develop. It's, well, that's the thing is to see this over a four game group stage is you're not going to see that, but I'll tell you what I would have liked to have seen had we lived in an alternate dimension. I really wanted to see what sky blue was going to become this year because they picked up so many big pieces. You really wanted to see what they could do over the case over the course of 20 games. You wanted to see Chicago tinker with some different forward lines after bringing in three different forwards. You wanted to see how Weaver and Smith were going to do in Portland over the course of a season because they're rookies. They're going to come in and play, you know, four, five, six, maybe seven games. You have no idea uh, what what their ability is based on that. I wanted to see what, you know, Washington did after a, a 2019 that surprised a lot of us. You want to see if they can kind of continue that forward momentum and that building, that possession-oriented style of play, which I know um, you always kind of have a laugh when coaches say that. But they did it. They, like, yeah, actually they – they had a coach who came in and actually built a possession-based system. So let's see what that that looks like in, in year two with 
such a great group of young players. We're not going to get to see what that looks like over the course of a season. This is going to be, you know, who can, I want to say come out hot, but I don't really believe that because with eight of the nine teams advancing, you can really have a pretty um, doggish performance in the group stage and still, you know, get it together. But whichever team figures it out, it's kind of like the 2015 U.S. World Cup. Whichever team figures it out by the quarterfinals um, and gets hot at the right time is going to be the one that, that comes away with this. But I do feel bad for the one team that has to go home because it'll be yeah. nine teams, eight advance. Yeah. As much as I hate it, I guess I understand it. And as somebody pointed out, everybody's guaranteed four games. And then for the remaining eight teams, it's only five games. So it's not like one team gets four games and everybody else gets eight but if it's let's say Utah goes 0 and 4 with a brand new coach, let's say Sky Blue goes 0 and 4 with Freya Coom, who's not brand new, but is really unproven as a coach on any significant level of soccer, that's a long off season to go into if that's the entire season. Right. With that, you know, on your resume, and I know, you know, they're both working really hard, but you know, you get off to a slow start or get a bad draw, that can be tough to recover from. Let me ask you this. What what would you put the over-under at uh, for the team that doesn't get out of, of group stage? Or if I said the over-under is two, do you take the over or the under for how many points they have? For the four games? Yep. Ah, that's a good, good – uh, wow, that's a good line <laughs> right there. I would. I think I would take the under. This is now a gambling pod. <laughs> I think I would go under on two. Okay. It's a good line though, because I mean, every, every somebody always starts off really slow, right? Yeah. No matter what. Yeah, I mean, somebody's going to lose their first two or three games, and then I don't know. We'll see if they come back or not. And then if you are in a spot where you are, because the the last games aren't going to matter that much, right? Because eight or eight of nine are going through. Right. So aren't you going to want to, if possible, get everybody in to a game if you can for, I mean, it would really be a shame to do all this training, go to Utah, put your health on the line, not get any minutes. It could also result in some crazy scenarios. We always see that in the World Cup in the last game of the group stage where some teams are putting it into cruise control while other teams need points or some teams, you know, we saw that this past summer when we were watching the U.S. versus Sweden. We didn't know yep. if the U.S. was going to really try to win that game or not. Because if you lost, you got to avoid France. And I know a lot of people are going to cringe when I say this, but if the courage come out playing well, I mean, they could run over this whole thing. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, they might not, but, you know, Riley's already talking it up. You know, they're going to burn the boat when they get to Utah. You know, we're yeah. not going home. So that wasn't a great phrase, but yeah, not, not the best, but <laughs> I, you know, I get where he's coming from. I will give you one matchup. Maybe about sky blue Washington with the pew trade. No, that's great. I mean, those are two of the teams I'm most looking forward to watching, even though now, it's obviously going to be limited. Now, granted, neither one of them has been in the playoffs since the spirit in 2016. So it's not like it's a, you know, a marquee matchup, but if I had to pick Two teams that I think I want in this to play. I think that's that's it. Yeah, I'll just say this too. This year, more than others, every single team has something I want to watch. And there have been some years where you go into the year going, I know this team is going to be terrible from day one, and I don't feel like 
any of these teams have that vibe right now that everybody or almost everybody has has improved or has at least changed a big dynamic of their team from last year. So that leaves us something to watch. That's fair. I, I, I do think there are teams that will be terrible, but A, this is such a small sample size, and B, they're all at least going to be interestingly terrible, which I think is what you were getting at. Yeah, well, I just think, like, like I would say that I don't think Utah has necessarily gotten that much better considering what left, but they've completely revamped their team, so I want to see what they can do. Um, Chicago hasn't gotten better. They lost Kerr, but they also brought in three more forwards. So I want to see how that happens. Portland brought in two rookies. So I want to see what the rookies look like. So even with the teams, Houston's another one, like Houston bringing in Naughton and Oyster. I really want to see what their center back combination looks like now. And they so, traded their top two all-time appearance leaders. Yeah. So I'm just, and, and Brooks. Right. And I'm just excited to watch Houston. Like, how many times in the last couple of years did you sit down saying, I'm really excited to watch Houston today? Well, maybe this will be the year. Maybe they go 8-0 and just run right through this thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, no, you're right. Houston's been – I've sat here literally with Kool-Aid on my desk picking Houston to be in the playoffs a couple of times in the last three or four years. And around May 15th every year, I'm like, what was they thinking? Yeah. But, yeah, they, they have made some changes. I'm going to tell you something else, too. I want this tournament to continue in future years, not necessarily where everybody gets together for a month. Right. I'm hoping this can be the start of a League Cup slash Open Cup. Yeah, where, I thought about that, too, because you have all those summer, those those teams that get together for the summer, too, in the other leagues that we never talk about. But you're right. right. And another thing is that I don't love the comparisons to the World Cup in this sense. The World Cup is in theory a culmination of a lot of years of preparation, and those are finished product teams. These are anything but finished product teams. Sure. And yeah, that's be, fair. I think it'll be weird to see that. All right, a couple of Twitter questions. Whitney M., what's the plan if some teams have a significant number of players not show while others have almost all their players show? Will they just play with what they have, even if that means they don't have three subs? I don't get any sense that any teams are going to be so shorthanded they're not going to have enough. I don't either. Which is five subs, by the way. I, I do know that there's some hesitation among um, among some teams until some questions get answered. So there's still, and, and again, Jeff wrote multiple pieces this last week on the equalizer, but um, and you can look at some of that. But there are definitely some questions that people still have. Um, Hallie, will teams be playing back to back to leave them on the same number of rest days? How do they navigate the schedule? Uh, unfortunately, Hallie, nine teams, there's no perfect schedule. I think they'll do the best they can. Um, Dad is fat. It's a lovely Twitter handle there. But uh, Thorns were set to sign two additional players at the beginning of the season. For Mark Parsons, we know Diani re-signed with PSG. Any rumors on roster changes ahead of the tournament? Um, I don't have anything here, and I can't imagine there are internationals that are coming in just for this. Uh, that we yes. have some recent signings, but yeah, we'll see. We know Vasali was in training today. There, there were pictures of that up on Twitter. So uh, Jay Lorch, Woso, which players might have the experience and leadership skills to captain the team, especially given some of the players' current remarks 
on racism and privilege. In other words, who do you think should be considered for captains or future captains? Uh, I don't know why anybody who was the captain going, you know, out of the last season is not a captain still. Um, was Brooks the captain in Houston? So I guess they need a, they need a new captain or am I, I thought wrong? it was Ohio. Oh, well, either way. Yeah, either way. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, if we're talking about things that are going on in the world, I don't, I don't know that that really is going to change captaincy or anything like that. Um, and that, uh, looks, that's, I think that's all we have in terms of, uh, the, uh, the Twitter questions. Uh, any other thoughts? We're going to come back in a day or so and talk about the, uh, the draw. Um, but, you know, I'm with you. Excited to have soccer back. Cautiously excited because it's going to be different and there are going to be some risks. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got for now, though. Yep, I'm excited, too. Hopefully everybody stays safe. All right, John, I'll talk to you in a day or so, and we'll get on the matchup podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. For John Halloran, I'm Dan Lawletta. This has been the Equalizer Podcast. Thank you.